the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about ethical missteps, Enron and the Egyptian ferry disaster. And we're going to be talking about this with an ethics expert. His name is Dr. Christopher Bauer. He's a speaker, consultant, a seminar leader. He is uh, uh, an originator of weekly ethics messages that he'll tell you more about. And, um, (laughs) you know, I, I must, and he's a psychologist as well. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Carroll. It's great to be here. You know, I'm so eager to talk with you because um, as I was looking into the uh, ferry disaster, I realized that it is it is sort of a, an ethical pot of gold in the sense that you could spend seminars um, just talking about that because there are so many different levels of ethical errors. It's it's just unbelievable. Absolutely, and you know, it's easy to look at it maybe as a single tragedy but you don't you don't have to scratch deep to 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 draw a lot of blood in terms of just as you say multiple layers of problems and any one of which is kind of a horror story in itself well why don't we start trying to dissect it and perhaps through this you can also um, elaborate on some general ethical principles okay fair enough <laughs> all right sounds like I, I wish it weren't such a good example since it's such a, a, a nightmare in itself Yes, do you, do you mean, have a, a particular place that, that, that you wanted to start with it? Well, um, yeah, well, let's start, since you mentioned that, yes. I mean, of course, we do have to say this. It's, it's very well and good to use this as, as, as a real-life example of ethical missteps, but we also must say first that um, condolences go out to, of course, all the relatives and friends and loved ones of the people who... There's still about a thousand people who are dead or missing. Absolutely, the dead and are I know obviously going to be staying dead, but they yeah, yeah. <laughs> must and be missing, and and there isn't much hope for the missing either. Sadly, and it's no. Really, very sad. There have yeah. been approximately 388 uh, who have survived. These are approximate numbers, of course. And it was the El Salam 98 ferry mm-hmm. that sunk uh, <laughs> on its way from Saudi Arabia. To Egypt, and, and I dare say I know that, that one of your interests and areas of expertise is working with folks that are victims uh, or, uh, of terrorism or are, have fears of terrorism. And, yeah. and I dare say, from a from our shared clinical standpoints, uh, you know that the same rules apply for victims of tragedy like this. Yes, of almost course. across the board. You know, talking about terrorism, um, this this tragedy, this is very sinking. Um, the more you examine it and the, and the richer the layers are, the more you have got to scratch your head and wonder, I mean, were they ethical missteps or was this done on purpose? Well, you know, far be it for me to, to say whether on purpose or not. I'll, I'll plead inadequate information, uh, but, but it's hard not to be in, in, intrigued and 
little fearful uh, of what digging deeper might find. My thought is, regardless of whether there was some intentionality, and, and, and Lord knows that, that that's almost too horrible to contemplate, uh, you know, th- there were still a set of choices that the ferry company had, that the captain had, that the, the, that the crew on the boat had, that could have made things very, very different. And yeah, so, yes, and we should start with that. But I'm just saying, I mean, for example, the ferry company, or, I mean, yes, there's the possibility that somebody drove because originally they thought the fire, I'm not sure if they've decided where the fire actually started from, but the latest I heard was that they thought it might have been in a truck. Mm-hmm. So, yes, one could contemplate some kind of act of terrorism where uh, there was a bomb or, or of some sort on the on the truck and that that's what started the fire. But I'm even talking about um, whether the company or the captain who uh, jumped ship right away into a lifeboat, off he went, and I don't know if he's been heard from since. I have for, for his sake, I, 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 I sort of hope not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, um, I mean, you, you just have to wonder whether any of these people were in on it, if yeah. indeed, and of course this is just conjecture for those sure. of you who have just tuned in. Well, I don't absolutely. have any Absolutely, on both of our parts. But... But, you know, it's just that there are so many things that r- went wrong. You just have to wonder whether this yeah. was on purpose. And why don't we start with the ferry company? Well, I, I think in... The and, owners of the boat. And, and as we both have owned, you know, we're, we're, we're speaking here from, uh, you know, what we hear second, third, fifteenth hand, Lord only knows. But at least as I understand it, you know, here was a boat that apparently you know, to, to say the very least, did not do well under pressure. And you have to wonder if, if it is not, at the very least, a classic case of, uh, you know, commerce over safety and goodwill in, in, in the sense that it's hard not to believe there weren't an awful lot of things that company could have done to make the boat safer. You know, fires happen on boats all the time. They don't suddenly drop out of sight in the water so rapidly uh, the, that uh, the, the, the overwhelming majority of, of passengers perish. So, you know, I've heard this was a boat that was, uh, you know, not well maintained. That there were almost certainly what we would refer to as, as code violations, whether they would use the same language or not uh, in, in Turkey. I don't know, but uh, yeah, there, there was cost saving at, at the at literally at the risk of, of loss of life and limb. And from an ethical standpoint, and in most cases a legal standpoint, you can't escape some kind of culpability if that, in fact, is the case. Yes. I mean, obviously there are lots of industries, and we can talk about that a little later, who, like you said, a classic case where um, they put the immediate desire to reap profits over the safety and health and well-being of the clients mm-hmm. of that product. Absolutely. And yes, the ship was um, old. In fact, uh, they did have trouble getting it uh, um, accepted to to um, to be able to sail. Mm-hmm. Um, they they yes, I think you alluded to Turkey. I think I right they had to get it um, licensed or whatever someplace else. Uh, there were all these. I mean, it wasn't that it, it, it doesn't sound good, does it? Yes, it wasn't that it was a surprise when when there were these problems. And in fact, do right. you know, um, as of today, there was another boat ship that came into ferry that came into um, the port in Saudi Arabia um, that they didn't allow to go out because it was with the same company from the same company, and it was a similar uh, 
kind of fairy that is to say in similarly bad shape mm-hmm. and they actually stopped this one from going out after what happened with the okay, other well, one. Well, good, good judgment it seems to me. Yes. Now, um, what about also what happened on the ship when the fire broke out? Let's talk about that. Yeah, and again, you know, even if we set aside whatever thoughts, fears, fantasies about some kind of, you know, collusion or conspiracy or, or terrorism, you know, the, 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 what seems to be the documented fact is, is that a number of incredibly disturbing things happened as far as the, the those in charge uh, specifically taking actions that increase the danger rather than help promote safety for, for, for those on board. There, there are apparently multiple seemingly credible reports that, uh, in spite of the fact that there was, uh, in, in fact, a, a fire uh, seemingly raging somewhere on the ship, crew told passengers, oh, no, there's no problem, you know, take off your, your life vest, everything is okay. Uh, and even if you allow for the fact that they conceivably might have been misinformed themselves, Someone had to do the misinforming, right? Uh, and, and so that is uh, again. Uh, I, I, I was going to say that walks a, a, a thin line in terms of ethics, and it occurs to me it doesn't walk a thin line at all. It crosses a relatively thick line, uh, which is flat out lying to people about what they can do to to make themselves safer. You mentioned uh, well, a few yes, minutes ago the captain jumping ship. Wait, well, wait! Before we go to the captain, yeah, <laughs> sticking with the lifeboats, life yeah. jackets. Um, there was some talk that, uh, in fact, they purposely told the passengers to take off their life jackets mm-hmm. because they didn't want to create panic right. on the boat. Right. And if other passengers saw passengers in, in life jackets, they would wonder, of course, why they were doing that. Right. Um, right. And even before the life jacket issue, um, there's the question of why the captain didn't turn the boat around because yeah. apparently they were not very far out of port when this fire was discovered. Yep. And um, at best, it's bad judgment, you know, to think that that they could have that it didn't endanger the ship. Mm. And at worst, it was just that he was in a in a hurry to get where he was going. <laughs> and, and neither is excusable, right? Uh, and, and again, it, it comes down to you know bad judgment. And I know that's a you know casts a, a, a fairly wide net over over this whole issue. But I, I, I think. You know, the focus you know today is on ethics, and that's really what ethics are about. Is you know, when you're out there on the front lines, when you've got decisions to make, and maybe there are no rules to guide you, you know, what are you going to choose, and what are the values that you're going to use to make those choices? Mm-hmm. And here again is this whole seeming litany of choices that that, that different folks in authority, in power, in control made on this boat, and. Seemingly, at every turn, it maximized the risk and the danger for those on board for the sake of, who knows, profit, personal convenience, um, not wanting a, job, a, a bad job, performance appraisal. Yes. Or that. I, yes. I don't know what the, what, what the fear was that was being avoided. Was, right, uh, being afraid of being fired if he turned around and was yeah, late or Absolutely. You know, we, we, we may never know what that, that thinking is, but... Uh, you know, I would certainly venture uh, uh, a, a absolutely strong guess that if we ever either get a chance to review a, a transcript of the investigation or somehow could magically peek inside the various players' heads, it would all come down to some version of, you know, how, how, how do I manage my fear in this situation, either by trying to irrationally calm other people's fears so I'm not so upset, 
or so I feel more safe because I know if I get them calmed down, you know, I can get first shot at a lifeboat and, and, and get out of here and save my skin. Uh, but it's certainly all based on, for lack of a better phrase, you know, self-centered uh, thinking. How, how am I going to do this in a way that I come out uh, mm-hmm. alive, literally, and beyond that, presumably, from how looking good, smelling good, uh, even though when you look back on it, obviously every decision made them look anything but good. In fact, it made them uh, look horrific. Right. And then also, um, along with the issue of life jackets, and there weren't apparently enough of them on the mm-hmm. boat, which I guess was another <clears throat> reason why they were afraid to um, have some passengers see that others were wearing life jackets since the other ones would want theirs. Mm-hmm. And the same thing went with life boats. There yeah. weren't enough for the number of passengers that were Absolutely. on the boat, and that was because the boat was overstuffed with passengers. Yeah. Yep, which certainly points its finger at commerce over judgment and, uh, and ethics. Exactly. All right, well, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Bauer. He's a psychologist and ethics expert. We're talking about ethical missteps, Enron, and the Egyptian ferry disaster. So stay tuned. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com. Depend on it. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadilocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors cried the second I hope it had the bathroom cried the third for only his brains were smaller than his bladder but Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org and from energyhog.org she learned how to use energy wisely so the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road and the moral of the story is to use energy wisely log on to energyhog.org or waste not hog not this public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Expand love and light in the universe. Tune into Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True with Iris Jackson every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Each week, Iris and her guests empower, encourage, affirm, acknowledge, and remind us of who we really are, providing tools and processes to fulfill our destiny passionately, victoriously, and joyously. Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True is under the guidance and direction of our beloved I Am Presence, the seven mighty Elohim, the ascended masters, and the legions of light, and is given with fervent and heartfelt wishes that all of your dreams come true and are a thousand times more wonderful than you ever dreamed possible. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about ethical missteps, Enron, and the Egyptian ferry disaster. We've started with the ferry disaster. And we've been talking about, um, as my guest, Dr. Christopher Bauer, an ethics expert, put it, puts it, commerce over safety. I would, <laughs> I would less tactfully say money over safety. I, and, and I certainly couldn't argue with that. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about how this is certainly a, a classic example, the sinking of the ferry and the loss of uh, the, the fact that there are still a thousand people who have either lost their lives or are missing and missing at this point does not look good uh, oh. for their the chance of them being alive. We've been talking about the um, the uh, fact that the, there weren't enough life jackets, weren't enough life boats. The boat didn't turn around. Um, they did made uh, a bad judgment regarding the fire. Um, we started to talk about the captain, and um, you know there there was that. Uh, isn't there that slogan? The captain goes down with the ship. I think this captain never read that in captain's I, I, school. I think I, I think he missed that memo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and because he apparently about he was. I think, I think it was the, the front part. of the line, from what I understand. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that got the boat with a good view of the open water ahead. Yes, he, he knew there weren't enough uh, boats, lifeboats, and he grabbed the first one instead of trying to help manage the situation that basically uh, he certainly had a big part in by yeah. not turning around, by, you know, um, uh, giving various orders that weren't really helping the situation mm-hmm. until he finally figured out that... <laughs> It was time to leave. And, and from the word go, as you mentioned earlier, you know, by all indications, there were plenty of opportunities, or at least some opportunities, to just turn the boat around when, when, right. when the problem began. They were close enough to where they left to get back with a, with a high, much higher probability of safety. Right. I mean, if he had turned it, turned it around, they certainly could have, I mean, probably maybe not all lives would have been saved, but certainly most of them because they were really close. And, and they, now the other issue is um, this question of their signaling for help and there have been various reports about that. Uh, t- today they're talking about uh, more about the second captain, the captain of another ferry mm-hmm. from the same ferry line, who apparently was uh, fairly near to it, um, at least the closest one in the water, um, going, I guess, the other direction, not mm-hmm. towards land, not towards Saudi Arabia where they had just left. And they apparently, um, there's a report that the the second in command of the ferry that went down um, was in a lifeboat and called to that second ferry captain for help. Um, why? And apparently that captain, who had 1,800 people on board his ferry from the same ferry line, mm-hmm. didn't want to turn around because he was concerned that it would endanger his passengers. Now, that may actually be have been a good decision, mm-hmm. except for the fact why did he then not call with whatever equipment they have on board for help? Why didn't he call the ferry um, owner? You know, and, and it's not like they didn't have communication equipment, or how would they know there was something to not respond to? 
Well, I mean, but that's a little unclear because I don't understand why, whether they actually communicated to that ferry or whether it was this this person in the lifeboat who, mm-hmm. who got to that ferry. But one would certainly hope, I mean, that would be a, an ethical misstep to not have a communication yeah, system I was, I was on board. Say, I mean, I, I, I can't think of a way to spin it that, that smells yes. anything but bad. It's just a question <laughs> yes. of which version of, of awful is it. Right. So, um, so there's that whole question. And then, um, you know, then we can also look at the issue of why there were all these people on this ferry to begin with. I mean, not only because it was overcrowded because they were trying to make more money, but um, that apparently there isn't very much or enough work in Egypt. And these were all workers um, who had gone over to Saudi Arabia to make... Looking for work. Looking for work. Yeah. And they were going back home on vacation or the weekend or, or I mean, the week's over at some time off, mm-hmm. and um, you know maybe you could also look at what what about that that a country um, doesn't have enough work for its workforce and they have to go to another so many of them mm-hmm. have to go to another country to yeah. find work. Well, and I and I guess my my thought and, and this uh, has strictly to do with my my orientation to what ethics are and, and aren't in my particular little window on the field. I, I would say, you know, you, you can continue to make this a, a, a more and more of a macro issue uh, ad infinitum. Uh, you can simultaneously go the other direction and, and make it a more and more micro issue and say that for every one of these potentially, you know, geopolitical issues as you're starting to talk about, when you break it down, it comes down to choices that individuals make. Now, maybe a collection of individuals make some bad choices as a group because of their influence over each other but it starts with individuals thinking what you know what's most important to me what what values am i what values do i hold and of the positive values i hold which ones am i willing to compromise in order to whatever it is make more money to uh get the approval of my company my customers my family you know you name it and it's as those poor or outright bad individual choices begin to mount up that they take uh, a progressively greater toll. In this case, with, with, the, with the ferry, it's a very literal toll in lives. In other situations, it's a toll in, in dollars or uh, in the, the stability of an organization. But I think the process is fundamentally the same across all of those different types of ethical missteps. Well, and then sort of the final uh, ethical misstep, uh, or, I mean, there are probably people who would, who would debate that, but um, the families, you know, mm-hmm. certainly you can understand how grief-stricken and angry and raged they are. And rightfully so. All, and rightfully so, exactly, because of all the things we've just been talking about. Yeah. But is the answer to storm the um, office of the ship owner, the ferry mm-hmm. owner, and, um, you know, create a violent mob? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's easy from afar to say absolutely not, and I can say with absolute conviction, I hope that were I in that situation, that that would not be my choice. At the same time, you know, I don't know about you, that's certainly not not a test I've been put to, uh, and I certainly hope that I would stick to my values, uh, you know, under that kind of pressure. But, you know, it's tough to pass judgment when those are shoes in, in which we haven't walked. Well... Yes, except for the fact that, you know, it, it seems like increasingly um, throughout the world that people 
are, are have regressed. Well, I've been mm. saying this for years that our society, that all you know, in the world's society. Um, is regressing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would love to come up with a great contradiction. Unfortunately, I agree with you 100%. And so when we have these problems happen, whether it's you know relatives and loved ones dying in, in a terribly unjust um, tragedy like this, mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, people being angry about a cartoon, mm-hmm. or um, you know whatever the, the, the problem seems to be, more and more people are just regressing into violence, into yeah. huge temper tantrums. Absolutely. Instead of trying to resolve this, perhaps resolving things, some of these things with lawsuits. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's kind of a minor, <laughs> a less violent temper tantrum. Right. Right. Um, but you know, there are other there are other ways of, of going about solutions, and yet everyone pe- seem, people seem to have a much shorter fuse these days than ever before, and have regressed to the age of two years old, mm-hmm. at the terrible twos right. and, and temper tantrums. Yeah, and, and, and not only is that happening culturally, but of course it's fueled by a combination of you know garden variety mob mentality. Number one, that you know if, if the person next to you is, you know, running amok and the person on the other side of you is doing the same, it's a whole lot easier to feel like, oh, this is okay. Uh, and and it, it really feeds on itself, it, you know, as, as is exactly the psychology of any kind of mob. And in addition, superimpose on that, um, you know, the idea that, that, that once you step over the line ethically, uh, it, you know, it's just a whole lot easier to do it the next time and the time after that. And I, And I think... That is also the case with subcultures and cultures and, and countries that there is a kind of, I don't know, to, to risk being jargonistic, uh, you know, a disinhibition. Uh, and particularly if there's some sense of reward, if you feel better for doing it, if you've, even if that reward is only that you've vented something that's been pent up in you for a long time, but particularly if there's a financial reward or a social reward uh, or even just a good old-fashioned adrenaline rush, you're just a lot more likely to do it again and again and again. And mm-hmm. I think that that certainly, uh, in my mind, is, is one of many uh, fundamental components of that kind of cultural regression that, that you mentioned. Yes, yes. And it's, um, it, we really do need to, uh, I mean, we're going in that direction and we need to sort of pay attention to it before it obviously snowballs worse. Absolutely. To extent. And, and uh, I was going to say, there, there's plenty of snowballing already. So right. <laughs> the, the, the question is, it, it, what, what's the best way to uh, initially halt the further snowballing and then ultimately, uh, presumably, uh, turn it around? Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, you know, lots, lots of theories on that. I'm, I'm not sure that anyone would be pompous enough to, to stick their foot forward and say that they know with great certainty how to do it. But, you know, well, we can't sit, we can't sit by passively and let it happen. <laughs> well, that's what I expect you to be telling us about in the second half of the show. Uh, well, the well, meantime, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. That? <laughs> in the meantime, um, why don't you just, uh, we're probably going to be coming up on a break now, but mm-hmm. maybe let's just touch on, uh, at least briefly, the Enron trial. Sure. There's a fraud and conspiracy <laughs> trial going on uh, where... Enron's founder, Kenneth Lay, and the former CEO, Jeffrey Skilling, are on trial. And, uh, fraud trial of the century, they're saying? <laughs> yes, I guess so, although, although the century is still young. Well, yeah, well you know, that's true. That, but, uh, you know, hopefully they, they will not have any stiff competition for the, the next 94 years, but we'll see. 
Okay, well, we'll get back to that. (laughs) When we come back, my guest is Dr. Christopher Bauer. He's an ethics expert. We're talking about various ethical problems in the world, and we're going to be talking about their solutions when we come back. (laughs) So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Connecting your world. The Internet's number one talk and information station. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, Lake Bell from Surface joins us to tell us about the show, and TD-0013, our resident stormtrooper, joins us in studio to help us talk about the sci-fi that's happened this week. That's this week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. A significant portion of your federal budget is spent on national security, economic aid, international development, and the war in Iraq. But what do you receive in return for that investment? That question and many more will be answered when you join Diane Cromer for Worldviews and Local Perspectives every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Diane will talk with you about a range of international issues and inform you on how and why these issues have a direct impact on the lives of all Americans. So tune in every Thursday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Worldviews and Local Perspectives with Diane Cromer, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Dr. Christopher Bauer. He is an ethics expert, and we are analyzing the um, failing ethics you're, all you're over the place. Your showing. Yeah. <laughs> um, where, uh, you know, the more we <laughs> look at this, I mean, there are more there are examples. You can just open up a newspaper and uh, find a whole bunch of examples mm. every day 
we were starting to talk about the well, we talked about the ferry. We were starting to talk about the Enron trial, and um, just thinking about things, I was going to bring up also the outsourcing that we do in America. Um, companies, instead of using their own, uh, you know, American workers, um, are going to countries where labor is cheaper, and so that individual companies here can make greater profits and yet um, don't seem to care that there is a level of unemployment mm-hmm. and that people, their fellow Americans, are, are going hungry because they don't have a job. Right. And, and, and this certainly begins rapidly to veer into the political as much as the ethical, but I, I would amplify that by saying, you know, not only does that happen, but then we're in an atmosphere where uh, typically the, the response to unemployment is, well, if people really wanted a job, they could get one, and let's, you know, cut support programs for, for the unemployed and the homeless. Uh, and you know, we were talking earlier about problems that feed on themselves. And, and from my view, and here again, I, I realize this shamelessly veers into politics. Um, I, I think that's another one of those problems that, that ultimately feeds on itself. You know, you, if, if you take away people's resources and then, uh, in a sense, beat them up for being resourceless, I, I have trouble seeing that that makes the world a better place. Yes. Well, I mean, I think, just as I was saying before about how Egypt should be finding jobs for its workers rather than them having to take unsafe ferries to foreign lands. Um, I mean, we have a slightly different problem. We don't, well, yes, you know, there aren't many Americans going to foreign lands to find a job per se, mm-hmm. but uh, the jobs are finding other people right. in other countries. Absolutely. Um, and both of them seem to not be quite right. Yeah. Um, there's also, of course, the a question of the oil companies here, making obscene profits. Um, I was hearing someone talk on the radio the other day about how uh, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because on the one hand, you know, they have all these excuses as to why they can't lower prices, and yet they're at the same time telling their shareholders, boy, did we make profits last year. (laughs) And, um, you know, all of that is really pretty obscene because the the less ethical... Some people are. I mean, that, that's part of the problem, isn't it, with ethics? That um, that when people who are ethical, you know, sticking by the rules, you grow up. Let's say you happen to be these days fortunate enough. I mean, it's more rare uh, these days. To, but let's say you're fortunate enough to grow up in a household where you're being taught right from wrong, and that's really being um, modeled for you and drilled into you, and all of that. And you grow up uh, thinking that that's how the world is supposed to be, and then you start seeing things that aren't fair. You, like you're in school and you see Johnny cheats on a test and he gets a higher grade than you do. Okay. and uh, Or you see other kinds of examples of uh, teachers' pets, you know, getting, getting better grades or getting special treats um, where you're not and you were doing, you were smarter or you did a better job and, and you worked harder in that class. Um, so you start seeing things around you that co- contrast with what your mommy and daddy told you about how if you do the right thing, then life is going to be good for you. Sure. Yeah, well, and, and my hope would be that in the families that, that really teach what I would consider to be good ethics and good values, a part of that education is what's most important, is getting the good grade the most important thing or is doing the right thing the most important thing. <clears throat> and I grant you, out there in the real world, you know, that's a tough sell for kids. It's a tougher sell, in my mind, for a lot of adults. 
because as you you know get sort of you know older and maybe a little little more world weary and, and, and shop worn and you feel like geez I, you know, I've been living this life for a while so it's about time I got ahead in the world yes. uh, I think it gets to be easier and easier to allow yourself to step out on, on the slippery slope and say well you know maybe those, those values sound good but you know really you know what, what, what I need is more of this less of that you know less people on my back more money in the bank whatever it is and each of those sets the scene far too easily to begin to compromise the rules or, or to compromise your values. And, of course, those are as intertwined as they are, not one and the same, which I think, I guess, is another essential point with ethics. It's very easy to, to think about ethics as being following the rules. And the fact is, of course, number one, uh, for better or worse, there's not a rule for everything. And second of all, whether it's in school as a kid or at work uh, as, a, as an adult, there, there are a lot of informal rules that just turn out to be bad rules. Uh, you know, the, the, the example of that being when you work in a place where the reason things are being done the way they are is because that's the way they've always been done. Right. And it doesn't matter that maybe there are ethical missteps involved or maybe even legal missteps involved, but in that culture, that's how you do things. The reward is for doing things the way they've always been done. So if you're truly just following the rules... You know, it's easy to try and pat yourself on the back and congratulate yourself for being a, a good ethical soul. But in fact, you know, following the rules is necessary right. but not sufficient. Yes, that, that's a good point, um, making a distinction between those. I, I guess I meant sort of the rule of, of, um, of what's knowing right from wrong or, or doing, well, really the rule is in your heart. I mean, you know when you're making a, an ethical choice and, or not one. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, and part of, again, that training in values, whether it comes at an earlier age, as you and I both hope that it does, or at a later age through introspection or modeling or, or you know, good, the good luck of falling in with a good crowd, is it also, you know, reminds us that, that you know, ethics kind of comes down to figuring out what's the next right thing to do. And, and that's an overused phrase, but that's really what it's about, because we're making choices all day long about what the next right thing is. Thankfully for us, those are mostly unconscious or, or <laughs> we go pretty crazy pretty fast. But when the tough decisions are there, you know, moral decisions, ethical decisions, you have to be able to step back and be, and be thoughtful and think about what do I really stand for, and that will dictate do you turn left, do you turn right, do you go up the middle. Uh, and I think we aren't, most of us, uh, in this culture certainly, as in most, taught to step back and think. What we're taught to do is you know, get ahead at all costs or follow the rules at all costs, a lot of um, sort of absolute mandates that, as well-intentioned as they may be, kind of put blinders on us and train us to not step back and be thoughtful about what our values are. And what do we do when there's not a clear right or wrong? You know, we tend to throw around the phrase ethical dilemma uh, fairly conversationally, which there's no harm in except that I think it sometimes leads us to overlook the fact that in life we really do run into real live ethical dilemmas in the literal sense. You know, uh, there's a cost, whatever you decide. And, and the question is which uncomfortable or unfortunate decision are you going to make that is going to be the truest reflection of, of what you want to stand for. Yes, I think that that's, you know, the, the part of, a large part of the problem is that we're not, we don't grow up um, learning 
how important it is to stand for something, as you mm-hmm. were saying, or to right. have the identity, to have character, Absolutely. to value character. Absolutely. Or, or in the alternative, the other thing that I see is uh, uh, a, a sort of awkward 180-degree reflection of that, which is that values are accepted so fiercely but so blindly that there's not really a flexibility to look around the world and be accepting of different points of view and yeah. learning how to compromise and, and learning how to be you know, in the same room, let alone the same world together, and build bridges with folks that have different points of view as opposed to um, being, you know, for, uh, this is, uh, probably a poor word choice, but the one that comes to mind, sort of more sectarian, and saying, you know, what I believe, what I think is absolutely right, and if you don't believe with me, if you don't believe what I believe, you're a bad person. Right. And, you know, you're, you're with us or against us. And that certainly has plenty of dangers attached to it as well. Well, what would you, um, I don't know that you're going to be able to solve all the world's problems. <laughs> Uh, That that will take at least another half hour. Yes, yes. But I would like to ask you what you would see as a a kind of ethical utopia um, if you could sort of rearrange the world to have it follow, uh, be more cognizant of ethics, and Mm -hmm. and how would that be? What would that be like? What an opportunity to be smugly self-congratulatory. Um, <laughs> yes, they'd all be, you'd be king, right? Uh, well, I, 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 I don't know that I would say in good conscience that that would be the best choice for the world, but it would be nice to have the option. Uh, you know, this is maybe a, a, a drastically oversimplified answer to a, to a terribly complicated question, but I, I guess I'd refer back to what I said a, a moment ago, that, that if, in fact, there were a world where we all could really take in the importance of, number one, being thoughtful about what we stand for and why. Number two, being uh, insightful, which I think of as being very related to thoughtful, but uh, it, it takes it a step further, You know, my, my, and this is the language I use when I talk with businesses, but it applies to, to personal lives as well, that you know, all of us create ripples. Uh, you know, if you're in, in, in business, it's the, the, the impact you have on your customers and your community and your personal life. It's on your family and friends and, and colleagues and coworkers. And a lot of us don't pay attention to what are those ripples. And that's sort of corny language, I realize, but I can't think of any non-corny language to describe mm-hmm. this. And until you really pay attention to what impact am I having, not just who I want to be and what I want to be, uh, but by my being in the world or by my company being in the world, by what we produce, what we provide, how we do it, who we are as people, what's the impact? Then it seems to me you're back to living in in, in sort of an ethical vacuum. You can't possibly have the information that you need to make a decision about, am I doing the right thing? So it takes looking inside yourself first and then looking outside yourself and seeing where do you fit? What are the ripples that that, that you're creating? So those would be... For starters, I I would say the two hallmarks of of this uh, utopian uh, world I've been uh, graciously allowed by you to try and create. Yes, you know, I think that that, it is so true that we're so busy um, trying to get wherever it is that we think we want to go that we're not really realizing um, how even the tiniest things that we do or say are impacting people who, around us and how that in turn um, impacts other people. You know, if, if you're rude to uh, someone who, you know, is 
is uh, that you come across mm-hmm. um, in the morning, <laughs> and it could start their whole day off feeling bad about themselves, and then they kick their cat, yep. and they're yep. mean to other people. It starts a whole ripple yep. yeah, absolutely. of people being really mean and obnoxious and disgruntled. And, and on the other hand, you could be doing the absolute opposite, you know, and... and Starting a ripple of sunshine Absolutely. to uh, start people off for the day. And, and I'm, I'm so glad to have you join me in my corny language. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, I don't feel so alone. But I think you're absolutely right. And we need to pay attention, as I say, to what those ripples are. And with that, we'll take a break. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about ethics, ethical utopias, and the real world. And my guest is Dr. Christopher Bauer. And uh, he is an expert on ethics. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Stay tuned as we close up the show. Information you need, when you need it. VoiceAmerica.com Join Laura Mills Alcott on Much Ado About Books for lively interviews with romance, mystery, mainstream, and nonfiction authors. Ranging from the New York Times best-selling authors you know and love to new authors you won't want to miss. Keep up to date with the latest releases and book news. Get book recommendations from our guest reviewers and read our book club selections. Our special topic shows feature a wide variety of experts. And don't miss our surprise guest feature. All this and more on Laura Mills Alcott's Much Ado About Books, Book Talk Radio. Every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on Voice America. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific Time on VoiceAmericaRadio.com. Visit our website at www.WestCoastBusinessReview.com. West Coast Business Review's Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. World-renowned cosmetic surgeon and scientist, Dr. Andrew G. Berman, hosts Beauty in America, broadcasting every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. What is beauty? How is it viewed in a cross-cultural context? And what is the role of plastic surgery in society, careers, and life? Expert guests join Dr. Berman to discuss historic and current concepts of beauty and plastic surgery, as well as trends, advances, and gimmicks. Beauty in America with Dr. Andrew G. Berman finds out what is real and what is hype right here on the Voice America channel, Fridays at 2 p.m. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is ethics expert, Dr. Christopher Bauer. Uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe we would try to end the show on a <laughs> on an upbeat <laughs> note. <laughs> well, I'm and, not sure we can get there somehow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is it ethical to do that after what we've been talking well, about? Well, I think you know, we, we haven't given short shrift to, to, to the downside, so I, yes. I, I, th- I think we're, we're we're on good moral ground here. Okay. Um, I was actually interested to read about how uh, your ethics tips 
program that you started, I guess, approximately a year ago. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. let you tell about it, but how uh, you were planning on only doing it for a year and, and by popular demand. I mean, I'm go- I was kind of surprised when I read about that and pleased that there was such popular demand where people really wanted to try to, uh, at least there are some people who are who are trying to, if they've gotten off the right track, trying to get back on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, tell you us know, about that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I can. Uh, it, it certainly started with, with um, you know, I guess, uh, dimly in noble <laughs> roots. Um, I came out with a book last year called Better Ethics Now: How to Avoid the Ethics Disaster You Never Saw Coming, and thought, well, you know, uh, modern promotion being what it is, maybe I'll put some ideas from the book on my website, and thought maybe I could send out a, an idea that. Uh, sort of amplified the things that I talk about in the book uh, as, as well as in my seminars and, and keynotes. And, and so I began every week to send out a, a brief you know, paragraph or two and with the feedback I got that turned into you know a, a slightly a longer paragraph or two and then into three short paragraphs. Uh, and again, it's all it, it builds on many of the kinds of ideas that, that we've talked about in the show already today. You know, what does it mean to be more thoughtful? Uh, what does it mean to examine the ripples? Uh, some of the the weekly ethics thoughts are somewhat more technical in the sense they talk about you know facts and figures uh, in uh, corporate fraud um, and the kind you know, percentages of the types of ethical violations that happen in different settings. So it's really it's kind of a hodgepodge, admittedly, different sorts of ideas each week. But it's all uh, very conversational, just because that's the only way I'm comfortable being. Is that, again, it's the same way my seminars and keynotes are. I'm not a very formal person. Uh, and it's a chance for folks each week to hopefully get their mind working a little bit uh, on what I consider to be some of the you know, fundamental ideas uh, that, that have to do with helping us really walk the talk of good ethics. And when you sent these out, um, how did you get the first group of people that you sent Sent the, and I should mention that these tips are all free. Yeah, they how are did, indeed. You, you had, who did you send them out to, and who in our population, or who amongst these people, are the ones who want to get your weekly messages? Uh, it is, uh, and I've been pleased to find this just a wide and wild cross section of, of folks uh, and, and geographies. They, they go all over the world at this point. Uh, the, the initial pool of folks I sent them out to were. Um, individuals that were already on, on my mailing list uh, from my workshops and seminars. Uh, and now what I do uh, is when I do programs, uh, which, as I mentioned, are primarily for businesses and associations, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go anywhere, anytime to talk about this stuff. Uh, I, I just bluntly ask folks if they're interested in being on the mailing list and to give me their, their email address and on the list they go. And then, uh, if, if I'm allowed a, a, a momentary shameless plug, uh, sure. if folks do go to my website, which is Bauer, B-A-U-E-R, ethicsseminars.com, there's a little place you can sign up there, and I get lots of, of folks requesting to be on the mailing list uh, just by going to the website. So it's, so it's all different kinds of individuals, businesses, person, just people who... Um, individuals, not necessarily people who run businesses. Absolutely, a whole variety. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I will say that that a large number of, of these weekly ethics thoughts are are geared towards business. But uh, it's been gratifying to me, first of all, that so many people have been interested, even outside of business. And number two, I think it supports uh, one of the key points that I make in my keynotes and seminars, which is 
that ethics are ethics, whether you're looking at, at yourself in the mirror as an individual or as part of a business or organizational ethics, it really comes down to personal responsibility. And so what uh, I would preach, if you will, to an organization uh, is, is no different than what I would talk about with an individual, which is how do you go about making sure that you can be effective at being thoughtful, at, at figuring out what the ripples are that you can create, and how do you use that feedback to assure that your behavior really is in line with the values that you say that you have. And, you know, it's so interesting and so important that, talking about ripples, that these ripples are sent out all over the world because, um, you know, more and like more. Like this show. Yeah, like this show. That's I do very much appreciate the opportunity of being on voiceamerica.com because of being able to reach people all over the world and because of trying to um, help people get insights into themselves and, and uh, getting us to think in more, not only more thoughtful ways, but in ways that um, are are more conscious of of our our planet, of what we're doing mm-hmm. to each other by by having been unconscious um, for so long, and it's it's kind of like you know the way that we're polluting the earth. We're sort of polluting our minds, and and it's affecting it's, just it's everything. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. And uh, we really... just like thankfully cleaning it up is a package deal as well. Yes, exactly. It can, these things can be reversed. It just, it's just the lower down that we go, the harder it is to reverse them, but That's it's certainly it. possible. And the longer it goes, and there again, there's a very direct parallel to ethics violations. Again, whether it's in personal life or in business, one of the difficulties that I see with ethics violators over and over again is once you cross the line, uh, not only is it easier to do it you know, the next time the time after that, but you kind of go underground. You know, mm-hmm. th- that the last thing you want to do is then actually be thoughtful and introspective because unless you're truly criminally minded, which is a, just a tiny fraction of the folks that are ethics violators, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, you feel guilty, mm-hmm. and, you know, Lord knows you, you also want to avoid the fines and the jail time. And so you don't tend to think very clear-headedly about, you know, I can stop this, I can, I can turn this train around. And so what happens is you just sort of get carried along by the stream of, I don't know, for a horrific use of English, uh, undergroundedness, uh, and you don't even look to yourself, let alone to others, for some consultation, for some support, in terms of how can I just stop this? And it's never too late to turn the train around, like we were right. saying a moment always, ago. Like you can always return the extra change that you get from the store. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no statute of limitations. Right. Uh, but we, can, we, uh, we tend not to think about that when we realize that we crossed the line because then a whole other set of emotions and, and behavior and come into play. And rationalizations, absolutely. <laughs> and it's a I need the money list. more than this big store. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, what, what's interesting, and, and this is something I talk about a lot in, in my seminars and keynotes, is, is that if you look at transcripts of ethics investigations or talk to people that violate the ethics code and you strip away all of the uh, sometimes horrific, sometimes amusingly bizarre post hoc rationalization mm-hmm. and the legalese that's used in in, 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 in in the legal actions around these ethics violations, you come up with a really, really short list of rationalizations that you know there are four or five of them, and they don't sound so bad. You know, it's all stuff that sounds very upright. I just want to get ahead in life. You know, I mean, that, that's a pretty positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, I just want to be liked, respected, left alone by so-and-so. It, it, it's not criminally-minded stuff. It's what we do to try and fulfill those wishes 
it would get off on the wrong track. Yes, it's shortcuts because sometimes yeah. we feel that the long way to get to what we want is too long. We don't have enough time uh, left. Too long, we too should... painful, too costly, you know, fill, fill, too something, fill, fill yes. in the blank. Yeah. And this is going to get us there faster. And unfortunately, we, you know, sort of shoot ourselves in, in our ethical feet uh, in, in the pursuit of that. Yes, because even though you get there faster, perhaps, uh, it's not half as satisfying as when you get there not having hurt anybody else in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it sounds like we have, in fact, in the process, gotten to the end of the show. Yes. And let me mention, because I hadn't done that earlier in the show, the book. And, and can people, um, yes, people can get that by going to your website. They I looked at myself. Can. Yep. The book name, again, uh, that Dr. Bauer wrote is called Better Ethics Now. Avoid the ethics disaster you never saw coming. And although that's primarily, I guess, focused on businesses, it certainly applies to individuals as well. The rules apply to individuals as well, absolutely. And his website, again, is BauerEthicsSeminars.com. That's B-A-U-E-R, Ethics, E-T-H-I-C-S, Seminars, you know how to spell seminar. A lot of S's in this website. Yes, com. I'd like to thank you very much, Dr. Christopher Bauer. That's been, uh, you've made ethics fun. <laughs> well, thanks, Dr. Kelly. This has been a great time. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, and I hope, I hope somebody from the ferry disaster is listening. Well, we'll, and, we'll see if they write us to let us know. Yes, or, or at least just try to right the wrongs. Not obviously <laughs> able to bring some of the people back yeah. to life, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, certainly trying to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd like to say goodbye to all of you. Thank you for listening to another edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you've been listening to voiceamerica.com. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.